All right, if you get your Bibles open to Genesis 37, we'll pick up where we were last week. Um, but I felt really bad. You know, you heard Darren open the service, and uh, Darren had given me a gift for Christmas. He'd given me a telescope, and he came into my office, and he saw the telescope was still in the box. I never opened it, and kind of hurt his feelings, I think. And so I said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to look into it. So I took it out of the box, and uh, I did look into it, and um, I was pretty disappointed. I'm going to send it back. I gave it two stars. All right, you want one more? Because I already burned it up last night, so I don't know if you guys like to eat weird food, uh, but when I go to a restaurant, I'm going to order the weirdest thing on the menu, guaranteed, all right? You got kangaroo on the menu, you got camel on the menu, you got ostrich on the menu. I'm gonna have it, okay? No vegetables, but I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have the weirdest thing you've got. And I, I'm out the other day and I, and I ordered pelican. Anybody ever had pelican? I, I know people do eat pelican. I, I, I have friends that do. It was, it was pretty good. Um, until they finally, it came time to settle up an enormous bill. All right, so we left off. Let's get to work. We left off. We left off with um, Joseph getting the special new coat. Remember that, and how we didn't think Jacob could do anything to make his family more dysfunctional. He proved us wrong, and he took it to a whole new level. He sets aside his 11 other sons and he gives Joseph a coat of many colors. This beautiful coat made out of beautiful fabric has gems in it. And uh, then Joseph has these two dreams about the sons and mom and dad bowing down to him. And uh, the brothers hated him so much, <coughs> said that they couldn't say anything good about him. They hated Joseph and they hated Jacob. It's a tough time. And jealousy begins to rule. Now here's my statement. Jealousy causes all of us to behave in ways that are far from our normal nature. Whether it's in a marriage, a job, with your boss, with children, with money, with a promotion. Jealousy only destroys people. And so these brothers are out with the sheep. Now this is where, again, the story just continues on. It's like, Jacob, what other dumb thing you got up your sleeve? Well, here it is. He said, all the 11 boys out to take care of the sheep. All but Joseph. He kept Joseph behind with him. The pretty boy gets to stay home. Now, I don't know whether they're dining on steak. I don't know. But whatever reason, Joseph doesn't have to go out and work. And after a period of time, weeks, months, we don't know. Jacob says, hey, wonder where my sheep are. So he sends Joseph out to look for the brothers and the sheep. And he goes to two different cities, and he ends up in a city called Dothan. Now, I'm going to pause here just for a second. If you look around America, you will find that there's really two kinds of names, really, for cities. You've either got, or, or cities and rivers, they're named after Native American tribes, or they're named after biblical things. This is one of those. Anybody ever heard of a city called Dothan, Alabama? 
all of all of our people say this country was not founded on biblical things. Just take a look. How about New Smyrna Beach? All right, you can go to Revelation and find about the city of Smyrna. But anyway, I just wanted to make that point. So Joseph catches up with his brothers at a place called Dothan. Okay, it's out in the wilderness. And uh, here's the story from there. If you'll stand out of respect for the word of God. <clears throat> but the brothers saw Joseph from a distance. Well, sure they did. Because you know what he did? He didn't change. No, no. He came out in his multicolored robe with all of the gems shining. Of course you would to go out to be with the sheep. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. That escalated quickly. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into this cistern and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Now this is a loving brother. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Ah, just throw him down in the dry well, maybe he'll die. Although Reuben has a plan. Reuben said, maybe I can sneak back and rescue him and take him to his father. Now, don't think for a minute that Reuben cares. Reuben is just responsible. He is the son that would be responsible for Joseph. So he's the only one with a twinge of a conscience here. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe. Let's not forget what it was. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal. How about that? Cold and callous. Here's your brother. We rip off his robe. So we stripped him down to his underwear, threw him into a, a well. And let's go have dinner. A little cold hearted, huh? They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites are from Saudi Arabia. The camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they're on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to those Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. What a kind brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. After all, after all, he is our brother. And our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and says, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamental robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, in mourning, I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. 
You can be seated. So we start off here with evil thoughts. Now nobody, and I think I can speak pretty generally to all of us, nobody who's ever done something they shouldn't have done just got up and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to steal this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hurt this person. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to burn this to the ground. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cheat on my spouse. It always starts here. The evil thoughts always start in the mind. Now, don't think for a minute that those 11 brothers who have been out there for weeks or months, don't think for a minute that they've never thought about Joseph. And all of a sudden, he pops over the hill and they're like, oh, gosh, there's Joseph. Let's kill him. They've been talking about him nonstop. Every day, every night. They're out with the sheep. They get together, have dinner at night. And they're talking about how much they hate their dad and how much they hate Joseph. And when the opportunity appears, what's happened in their mind has already opened the door. And that's why it is imperative to guard what's in the mind. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, I got that verse wrong last night, but it's right today. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says, take every thought captive to Christ. Take every thought captive to Christ. What does that mean? It means if I don't get a hold of my thought life, my thought life will become action. And then my actions will cause great destruction. So what goes on in our thought life? Well, jealousy, anger, bitterness, lust, affairs, pornography, theft, murder. All of that happens in the mind. And Paul says, take every one of those thoughts captive. Get a handle on your mind. You're like, well, how in the world do I do that? Well, I'd be real careful about what I watched, what I listened to, what I, the people I hang out with. I'll put in a plug in here for our small groups. When you have a small group, one of the benefits of those groups is you've got people that hold you accountable. You go in and you say, you know what? I am so angry. I would like to just, and you need a friend that says, you know what? I totally get it. I agree with your emotions completely. But what do you say we don't do that? What do you say we look for another way to handle this? But see, if the people that are around you all think like you, like those 11 brothers, there was nobody there to say, hey, this isn't a good idea. Except Reuben, who has just a twinge of conscience because of his own personal responsibility to his dad. But... The rest of them are all in agreement, and really, so's Reuben. Once he's sold into slavery, Reuben gives in to the whole idea as well. Now, Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Why in the world did he write all that? Because he knew that if they didn't change their minds, he could never change their lives. So what do you dwell on? What do you think about? It doesn't even have to be bad things. It could just be things that are not good things. And eventually your mind will take you places that you never thought you would go. And so here's these brothers who the best two ideas they come up with is to throw him in a well and sell him to slaves or kill him. But in either case, 
We're going to just tear up the robe, cover it with animal blood, take it back to dad and lie to him. And again, you don't see this in the text, but they're willing to allow their father, and for that matter, their children, their wives, the sisters, they're willing to let everybody suffer grief. They watch Pop. They watch their dad. Now, I know they don't like him. I know they're not happy with him. But they watched that man suffer for 40 years because of the loss of his son. And they never brank rings. Well, I think I know why. As Ben Franklin said, we either, we either hang together or we hang separately. And that was exactly where they found themselves. But it all started with their evil thoughts, their anger and hatred toward Jacob and Joseph. And then that led them to this next level. Let's just kill him. Wow. It's amazing. And I'm guessing everybody in this room has done things that you didn't think you were capable of. Good and bad. You did something and went, wow, I didn't, had no idea. But you've also done things, I've done things that you're very ashamed of. You look back and go, man, how could I have done that? How could I have said that? Well, the truth is once, once things get loose in your head, And you don't have anybody to check that. You don't have anybody countering your thoughts. And you're not fighting those thoughts and taking them captive to Christ. Then what's going to take over? Your own flesh. And your flesh is, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it right. I will get what I want. I'll get revenge if I have to steal it from my boss, if I have to tie my boss up, if I have to cheat on my wife or my husband. Whatever I have to do, I'm going to get what I want. That's where these boys found themselves. Now, there's an, you know, this is we're talking about sheep, but there's an old a story about, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. We use that phrase, but it's a biblical phrase. Uh, Peter uses it in First Peter. Paul uses it in Acts chapter 20. He warns the church that wolves that look like sheep are going to come into your church. They'll be dressed like sheep, talk like sheep, but inside they're ferocious wolves. And their goal is to destroy the church. But here's the problem. We have come so far in the church today that we're afraid to offend the wolves. And so the wolves come in and we go, oh my gosh, we have to apologize to the wolves. They don't even bother putting on the sheep costume. They come in as wolves and we go, oh my gosh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So we don't preach the truth. Well, that's not the church's job. See, people, listen, I, I, I hope there's I hope that God's grace is so much bigger than I can understand. But people are like, you really think that people who don't believe in Jesus are going to go to hell? Yeah. But here's the truth, okay? You write this down if you want to get something. It doesn't matter what I think. But it also doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what the Word of God says, because it's the inerrant Word of God. Acts 4.12 said there's only one name under heaven to be saved. Jesus. Now, I didn't write it. I'm just here to report it. 
So that's why we push so hard to help other people find Jesus in this community and around the world. But the wolves are going to come in and say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You can believe whatever you want. You can, you can be, you can be a Buddhist or Hindu or worship a tree or, or it doesn't matter about your sexuality or no, all of it matters. You have to read the scripture. And listen, my job, pay attention. My job is not to make the goats comfortable. My job is to teach the sheep. That's my job. And our job is to grab a hold of the truth. Because if we don't, the thoughts in our mind will grow into actions. And we will become people that God never intended us to be. Psalm 100 verse 140 verse 1 Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Protect me from men of violence who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir them up every day. So Joseph walks into an ambush. You want to be careful not to walk into an ambush, but more importantly, you want to make sure you're not somebody who is ambushing. Now here's what I find fascinating about this story. Does anybody know what the price of a slave was? Same in Jesus' time, by the way. Anybody? How much did Judas sell Jesus for? 30 pieces of silver. How much did they get for Joseph? 20. Why? Because the Midianites got to have a spread to make money. So they sold their brother for less than the price of a slave just to get rid of him. Now... When Reuben comes back, I thought through this. Apparently Reuben didn't, but I thought through this. I thought, okay, here's what they could have done. When Reuben got there, saw that Joseph is gone, Reuben could have said, you know, the caravan went that way. If you've ever followed camels, they don't move very quickly. So he could have said, we'll go down there and we'll give them 30 shekels of silver and we'll bring Joseph back. They could have done that for their brother because that's all they were going to get in Egypt was the price of a slave. So they bought him for 20 so they could flip him and make 10 pieces of silver. So when for them, all they did was drag a kid out of the desert down to Egypt and they make 10 shekels of silver. But Reuben never says that. Never once does he think I should go help my brother. Instead, he goes, well, I guess we go back to plan A. We tear up the robe, we dip it in blood, and we go back and lie to our dad. Now, here's where I want to do a little preaching. They felt guilty, but not guilty enough to do the right thing. So often I talk to Christians who are in this spot. God never intends for you and I to live with guilt. Guilt comes specifically from Satan. Write it down. God gives conviction. There's a big, big difference. Guilt says you've done something wrong, you are bad, and you can never be fixed. That's guilt. Conviction says, hey, you've done something wrong, you didn't do something right, let's fix this. That's the difference. But most Christians are content to come in, to get their guilt assuaged a little bit, And then go right back and keep doing what they're doing. But that's not the goal here. Because that's what the brothers did. They felt bad. You can't tell me that for 40 years they didn't feel bad. And even when they faced Joseph. When we get to the end of this story. 
they will look Joseph in the eye. They don't know it's him because he went from 17 to, to me before they see him again. And they continue their own lie to Joseph himself. That's how embedded those thoughts get in somebody's life. So the goal is not for you and I to feel guilty. The goal is for you and I to be convicted. What do I do when I'm convicted? Well, I join a small group. I go on a mission trip. I give to Maui. I I help with this. I support that. I'm a part of this. Guilt just says, I'm never going to be good enough. It's an excuse. It's a cop-out to say, I feel really bad, but you never have any intentions of changing. I'm going to keep right on with my affair. I'm going to keep right on with the pornography. I'm going to keep right on stealing. But I really feel bad about it. Really? How bad did you feel, Reuben? How bad did you boys feel when you went back and you watched your dad? How bad do we feel when we watch God cry? See, the word, the word repentance in the Bible never means to say I'm sorry. It does mean change. So when we get to communion here in a minute, the goal is not, oh God, I'm so sorry for all of my sins. It is God I'm going to repent from my sins. My intention is to change how I talk, how I act, what I do. David in Psalm 51, this is verse 3, says, For I know my transgressions, my sins are always before me. Now, David has had an affair, had a baby die because of his sin. He killed Bathsheba's husband, had him killed. And yet God calls him a man after God's own heart. How is that possible? Because David was just like all of us. His mind was messed up. His heart was messed up. His life was messed up. But he realized that the goal was not to feel guilty, but to repent. And so he says, if you read all of Psalm 51, which is his confession, he says at the end of that, God, if you will find a way, if you can find it in your grace to forgive If you could do that, I'll spend the rest of my life helping other people get free too. Isn't that what you and I agreed to when we accepted Jesus? That's kind of the whole point. So rather than wallow in guilt and never change, the goal is actually to repent. Now, let me just show you one picture because people always question, you really believe this stuff in the Bible, Joe, and even pastors. Okay, there's the well. That is the cistern Joseph was thrown into. Now, this is all, this is, well, this is probably 2,000 years old. But the well is 4,000 years old. We have everything except Joseph's fingerprints. I don't have that. But this is no doubt the well that he was thrown into. All right? That's how good uh, archaeology and history and the beauty of being in a desert really is. So I'm going to finish with this statement for you to think, for us to think about. If God is good... Why doesn't he put a stop to all the evil in the world? Well, he did that once. It's called Noah's flood. So why not just destroy the worst of the worst so the rest might learn by example? Well, he did that too. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. If God decided to destroy all the evildoers at midnight tonight, where would you and I be at 1201? Don't mistake God's patience for his tolerance. Take advantage of the time and repent today.